Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries Podcast. You're about to listen to another message from Pastor Isaac Worley. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. So we've been in this series called Radical Relationships, going through the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew chapter 5, and so you can turn there if you have your Bibles with you, uh, but it's also going to be on the screen. Uh, Let me read it real quick, and then we're going to dive right in, okay? Matthew chapter 5, the text that we land at, we've been going verse by verse through it. Uh, The text that we land at now starts in verse 17, and we're going to go through verse 20. It's really kind of short this week. But it says here in verse 17, Jesus is obviously the one talking, and he says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That is, that's pretty much talking about the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish all those rules and regulations. I came to fulfill it, he says. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter Or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. It's staying. Verse 19, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and then teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, He's saying, unless you are more righteous than anyone could ever fathom, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 17 through 20. I, uh, growing up, I, I was, and maybe some of you guys can relate to this, I was in the shadow of my dad who, um, in a lot of ways, I was a lot like and still am a lot like my dad. I have a lot of personality traits like him. <clears throat> and so everyone would always be like, oh, you are, uh, you're like the little Andy. That's my dad's name. And he, they were always like, man, you guys, you are just, uh, just his mini-me. But with that came this expectation of me being able to live up to his standard that he set. And one of those standards being uh, something that I definitely couldn't live up to was uh, his ability to play football. My dad was uh, a rock star in high school. He still, if I go to his high school, uh, he, his, like the gym wall has all the records and everything like that, weightlifting and football, um, all these different things. I mean, his name just fills still and he's in his mid to late 40s, I think, his, his name is still just littering that records board. And so I grew up with that, and so every time I would show up to his hometown, but even to uh, friends and family, and they're like, man, you are going to be just like your dad. There came with that expectation of the standard that my dad uh, had. And so whenever high school came, it was time for me to live up to that standard set. And let me tell you, I... I was about to say I did it, but then I would have been like, I didn't, I wasn't even close to doing that. Uh, I've, I'm a decent soccer player, uh, but I, I started out with football freshman year, uh, and it lasted a season. I felt like being on not only the B team, but the B2 team was prophetic, that I, 
I wasn't like my dad in that way. Um, believe it or not, they did have a B2 team in Smithville, Missouri, and uh, I was number one on the B2 team. I, I was a starter for that team, if that means anything. Uh, I was a starter among the B2ers. Not even the B team. Like, the B team looked down on me, and uh, I was really championing the B2 to success through the season. No, I'm just kidding. We only played like three or four games, uh, and then the other schools that didn't have B2, I sat on the sidelines for the rest of the It doesn't matter. Um, I didn't live up to my dad's expectations, my dad's standard. And um, I say that because looking at the text today, it's really easy to have these standards that uh, Jesus is talking about in, in Matthew chapter 5, that he just starts talking about uh, this expectation for the Christian lifestyle, these, these things that we're called to do and be, and we don't make it to that. There are these standards that uh, really we can't live up to. Looking at my dad's uh, situation, whenever I just got the B2 team and uh, I tried all these other things and I couldn't live up to what he had uh, as a standard, I remember it actually really, really messed with me. I was really struggling because I wanted to be like my dad. I really looked up to my dad and I still do. And uh, I remember my junior year, whenever he really wanted me to go play soccer uh, in college, I start, you know, start looking for schools or whatever my junior year. He really wanted me to do that because he went and played college football. And so, uh, though it wasn't football, it was a sport. And I remember telling him, you know, I don't want to do that. I, I, I just don't feel like I'm, one, good enough. Uh, but two, I, I don't really want to pursue that. I want to pursue other things. And I remember that was so hard for me. I actually really wrestled with it. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of crying, to be honest, if I could just be sappy and real. Uh, I really just felt like I was disappointing my dad and really letting him down and not living up to what he really wanted in a son. And so that really bothered me a lot until the day when he really sat me down and he said, my desire for you to do that or to be that has no bearing on my love for you. You can go to college and play soccer. You can no, not go to college at all. I love you, and I don't, I don't care. Jesus talking about all these Christian living expectations, all these things that we should be doing in our life. Leading up to verse 17, there's some really hard and challenging things about what we are called to do from our Father in Heaven, from our God, that if we are trying to just get it perfectly every time, we can just find ourselves discouraged and beat down and feeling ashamed and feeling like maybe that'll affect his love for us. Uh, and so Jesus stops here at verse 17 after talking about all these expectations, all these standards of living as a Christian. He stops at verse 17 and he has to clarify some things regarding holiness or righteousness or living a, a, a good life, being good. He has to stop. And verse 17 through 20 is really him just, just pausing for a second and saying, now, I'm saying all these things of how you should be living, but I need to stop and clarify to you that you being perfect at that or not actually has no bearing on my love for you or my acceptance for you. I'm not getting rid of the law. There's these expectations that are still there, but it actually has no bearing on if I accept you or not, if you can't live up to it. 
And so Jesus stops and clarifies, or else, if he wouldn't stop and clarify these things, we would find a lot of people deeply shameful, uh, just feeling this deep shame and self-hatred because, oh man, verses 1 through 16, I, I didn't live up to. Maybe God doesn't accept me, and even to the extent I know a lot of you guys in this room with me that I've walked through life with have felt, well, maybe I'm not saved. Because I keep going back to the same sin. I'm not doing what Matthew 5 says that I should be doing. The standard that of really radical uh, commitment to Jesus would call me to. I'm not able to live up to that. And so I'm worried that not only does God look down on me, but does God even accept me anymore? Am I saved anymore? And so if Jesus didn't clarify this little portion, we would find a lot of people filled with shame and discouragement. And so... Um, he says two truths in this passage that I want to look at tonight and really dive into. Um, and the first one is that we are good through Christ. We are good through Christ. The second truth is that we are good for Christ, okay? And so these seem really basic. Let me, let me just be honest and, and acknowledge that these look really basic. And for those of you guys who are like varsity Christians, church going since the cradle, I don't want you to check out because, oh, I already know that Jesus is what makes me good, not myself. Oh, uh, you know, I'm uh, weighed by God because of Jesus, not my own actions. He's wiped me, my slate clean. Like, you could probably rehearse all of that, but believe it or not, as simple as this is, as simple as this theology appears, varsity Christians cradle Christians, this sermon is actually more for you than it is for a new or young Christian. This sermon, I think, speaks more to the heart of the Christian that knows church front and back, and they know how to rehearse this kind of theology in their sleep. This is for you. And I'll say why in just one second. We are good through Christ, and then on the other hand, we are good for Christ. We strive to be good for Christ. And my desire for this message, the next 20 minutes, uh, my desire as we talk about those two truths is that one, we would get rid of, completely wipe out of your life that I know so many of you guys are wrestling with is the shame and worry of if God accepts me or loves me because I still struggle with that addiction that I did three years ago that I promised I'd get rid of, and I still have it today. And so now that's making me wonder, my salvation, it's a little rocky, it's a little shaky, I'm not sure. I want you to, I'm hoping that through talking about that first point particularly, we are good through Christ, not through your actions, not through your ability to break that addiction. You are good through Christ. I want to just hammer that in so much that that shame and that worry if you're accepted by God or not is completely cut off, completely wiped out. And then uh, for the second point, my desire and hope is that we would strive with every ounce and everything in us that we would just try so hard to be good for Christ in a healthy way. It's important in a healthy way. Not to earn his love, earn his acceptance, but because he's already given it to us and therefore we want to, we want to do all we can in saying thank you. I want us to get rid of the shame and the worry. And then in the second point, I really want to encourage you and push you to work towards getting rid of that addiction. Getting rid of that sin in your life in a healthy way with a healthy motive and thanksgiving rather than 
obligation to earn God's love. It's because you already have his love. So those are the two things uh, that we're going to look at. Let's look at the first one real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go qu- quick through this. Truth number one, we are good through Christ. You are good through Christ. And I, say, I think that we say this, here we go again, varsity Christians, listen up. I think you're able to probably say this and, and rehearse this kind of theology, this idea that, yes, I am undeserving and, and uh, everything about me is just evil, you know, uh, uh, dirty rags, I'm a wretched sinner. You can throw all this, all this verbiage out, this Christianese saying, yes, I'm undeserving and it's only by the grace of Jesus that I would be saved. And you can throw all these words out there and say this kind of thing in your sleep. You can say it, but so many that can say it wrestle with truly believing it. You might be able to say it, but so many people wrestle with believing it. There's this movie, and I won't say it. Most of you guys will actually probably know what it is, but um, there's just a lot of cussing in it, so I won't say. I won't advertise, broadcast what the uh, movie is. But it's a really, um, it's a powerful movie in the sense that it talks about this. Well, I mean, it fits the scene of the movie. The the cussing part does. Um, this guy that really uh, grew up in a in a harsh life. He was abused. Uh, to the nth degree um, uh, all through his life. And so he was raised up, uh, bouncing around from house to house. And, um, and it gets to this point where he is, doesn't even want to accept all the pain that he's gone through in this, this rejection that he's experienced and this, uh, all these people that have looked away from him because he's too hard to handle. And so um, he actually begins to kind of hate himself for it. And there's a scene in the movie where... This guy just keeps repeating over and over to him, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And this guy, the, the, the main character keeps saying, I know, yeah, I, I know, I know, it's not my fault, I know. And he goes, no, seriously, it's, it's, it's not your fault what happened to you growing up. All those horrible things, and he shows him pictures of, of um, whenever the police would take him in or the, or the hospital would find him, and, and, uh, and all these like broken bones and all these different things that happened to him. He goes, this isn't your fault, and, and the, the, the main character keeps saying, I know, I get it, I know, I know, I know, and he, and he doesn't relent. The guy pushed him. He's like, listen to me. It's not your fault. You need to embrace and accept and believe it's not your fault, and he goes, I know it's not my fault. Stop saying that, and he goes, I need to say it again, and he keeps going and going. It's not your fault until the guy's just broken down weeping because he finally gets it out of him that you actually do believe it's your fault. You say you know it's not your fault, but deep down you believe it is. And I think us Christians, we can rehearse and say we're saved through Jesus, but we wrestle with and we actually really believe it's not by Jesus. It's that I would get rid of this sin in my life. It's that I could finally earn or I can work towards being good enough. We would say, it's by Jesus' blood, by God's grace. We say it, but we might not actually deep down believe it and live like it's true. Let me, let me give a few more examples of, of times, because we do this all the time. We say things and we don't mean it, okay? See if this is you. We say it and you don't actually mean it. <laughs> I'm on my way. Someone's like, hey, where you at, man? He's like, yeah, I'm on my way. I say that all the time, and actually that means that I'm about to get ready to go on my way to get to you. Uh, so really just add about 20 minutes of whatever the commute is to get to you. Uh, but you say it, but you don't actually mean it. I'm on my way. Ladies, listen up. Two words. It's fine. 
it's fine. It's fine. Cold shoulder. I'm like, well, if it's fine, you want to turn around and keep talking? No. I'm like, well, hold on. You're just, it's fine. I love you, babe. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to keep going, guys. Keep going here. <laughs> it's fine. You say it, but you don't mean it. We should hang out sometime. I wrote this one because this is probably my, like, anthem whenever it comes to saying something and not meaning it. Like, you're crossing somebody in the hall, and they're like, man, I haven't seen you in forever. And you're like, I know. We should hang out sometime. Text me. And then you walk away, and you plan on them actually never texting you. Or maybe I'm the only bad guy in the room. I don't know. You say and you have no intentions of that actually happening. We should hang out sometime. Or you're the other guy that was just told that, hey, we should hang out sometime. What do you say in response? Okay, uh, I'll let you know. I'll text you. I've been both guys, being honest. I've been both guys. You say it and you don't actually mean it. I could keep going. I had a race a few times. There was one, I, I think one that I raced. Now it doesn't matter that I race it because I'm going to say it. Uh, your baby's cute. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was just me. Um, it's not you, it's me. I don't know. I mean, all these different things, just say it, but you actually mean the complete opposite. <laughs> I didn't, look, that one, I meant it. <laughs> you say it, you don't mean it. What about this one? I'm accepted because of Jesus' actions, not mine. You say it, but deep down, do you mean it? Because I think a lot of us can say it. That's easy. You were taught it. You downloaded that since you were in kids' church 15 years ago. Whatever it was, I don't know. <laughs> You say it, but can you really deep down believe that it's not at all by your actions that you are saved? It is 100% by Jesus' saving grace. And if so, that will completely affect if you have peace in your life, if you have shame or not in your life, if you are comfortable to go before God and embrace that he fully accepts you and fully loves you. It's if you believe it, not just say it, that you are good through Christ, not through yourself. See what the Bible says, uh, jumping back at verse 17, it says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it. That standard of perfection is still there. To be welcomed into the kingdom of God, to be accepted, embraced with uh, open arms by God, it is only logical that you have to be fully perfect in his sight. That standard is still there. But Christ came to not abolish that, but to fulfill it and to be that. And so in Christ, as we put our faith in him, our trust in him, and we live for him, he coats us with his righteousness. That as we go before God and God looks at us, he sees nothing but purity, nothing but holiness and pure righteousness, even though we still wrestle with so much sin every single day. He fulfilled that standard of perfection that is still necessary to embrace God. Christ fulfilled that, and as we are in him, we are also perfect before God. We need to, we need to hear that more. As you believe, if you believe right now, tonight, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to live for him for all you are, you need to hear this, and not just hear it, but believe it. Not just say it, but believe it. You are perfect before God, spotless, perfectly clean, without one mess up, without one little mistake. You are perfect through Christ, 
who coach you as you lean on him. He puts his arm around you and makes you his own righteousness. And so the person that is still struggling with that addiction, but you have your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, knowing the sin that you struggle with, even before you came here tonight, you're perfect in God's eyes. It's true. You gotta not just say it, but you gotta believe it. And so why is this important? Actually, I also want to point out another part in Scripture. Uh, I, think it, I think it's in a lot of different Paul's letters, but um, definitely in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 1. A lot of Paul's introductions to sermons, he says, uh, to the saints of, and then Ephesus or Colossae, wherever, wherever he's writing to, these different people groups, he's saying not only to the people of, not only to the, the people that are working to be the best they can, but he says to the saints, you are a saint, these people, though, they are just like you and I. These people, though, they struggle with a lot of sins. You should look, just read the letter to the Corinthians. The kind of disgusting things that they struggled with and did. But in Christ, we are a saint before God. In your addiction, you are a saint before God through Christ. We need to hear that more. And why is this important? If you read the next verse, he says why this truth matters so much. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away before the law, uh, from the law until all things are accomplished. The fact that Jesus is your holiness, that Jesus makes you perfect in God's eyes, this is so important because the law's not going anywhere. It's staying as long as it's staying, it's hanging over our heads and showing how imperfect we are. Because of that, verse 17 is so important. Jesus fulfilled that law that's constantly and forever will be hanging over you. And without Christ, we'll just keep pointing at and we'll keep showing you that you are perfectly right to feel shame before God and guilt before God, but in Christ, it just shows his grace and love for you. It's important because the law is not going anywhere. It will always be over your head. And so this first truth is so important. We are good through Christ who takes the law upon himself. The second truth, uh, I want to keep going. So we are good for Christ. Now, this is because of the truth, the first truth. Because he became our righteousness, because he made us good in him through him, now we are good for him. We strive to be the best we can for him because we already are perfect in God's eyes through him. Does that make sense? I really want you guys to grasp that and really believe that. Once we embrace the fact that it's not because of uh, how good we are or how bad we are, but it's because of Christ who covers us with who he is, because that's true, because through him you are good. Now, for the rest of your life, for every day to come, you are to be good for him and worship and thanksgiving to him. Not to earn it, but because you're already good in his eyes, if that makes sense. I really hope that uh, is starting to stir in your mind a little bit. Let me read verse 19. It says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same 
will be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. So if you just completely reject the law, if you reject all these rules and regulations and these expectations, if you just say, nah, it doesn't matter, it says you are the least of these. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Obviously, the law is still important. Striving to be the best we can is still valuable. Just because we are good in Christ and perfect in his eyes doesn't mean that we can just go and live how we want. Obviously, verse 19 shows that it's still important that we would strive to be holy, strive to be good. There's still reason to work towards being good. Positionally, get this, this is important. Positionally, before God, you are perfect. Experientially, though, day to day, you got some work to do, and so do I. We've got some work to do because we're far from perfect in the way that we live our lives. And so therefore, we should strive to be the best we can, not to earn God's love, but because we already have God's love, we want to do it in worship and thanksgiving and rejoicing that he has made us good. Therefore, we will strive to be good for him. It's important. It's an important distinction. And it's important because, verse 20 says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. The law, working towards being the best you can is important because without Christ, you'd never enter the kingdom of heaven. Without Jesus doing it for you, you would never, never embrace God. And that's why working the best you can is so important because we owe him everything. We owe him everything. That's why it's important. But the problem is I think uh, a lot of the times we, we don't, I guess, appreciate that God would do what he did on the cross, that he would make us good, in his eyes make him perfect. And so sometimes we just feel like it's not actually that important to be the best we can in thanksgiving or in worship to him. I think sometimes we can be like, oh, well, then I'm good. I'm saved by grace. And so therefore, I'm not going to work towards just saying thank you in every breath that I breathe, in every movement of my body, in every thought that I think. I don't really have to keep a, a record of these things that I'm doing. I don't really have to, to care that much about where my mind would wander or what my body would do or the things that I say. I'm saved by grace. I think sometimes people might start thinking that, well, because I'm already perfect. Why work towards being good? But if you truly embrace and deeply appreciate and are in awe of what God did for you and making you good in his eyes, you would strive for everything in you to be the best you can for him in worship. I think, kids, so all of us can relate to this, are horrible at appreciating what our parents do for us, appreciating it, and really thanking them for it. I think whenever you're like, you're the youngest, obviously babies, like they don't, they don't give back at all. Like Israel said last week, like they don't ever give back, they just take, right? Uh, but you kind of grow out of that. And still whenever you're like even a teen, uh, you, it's really hard to stop, see, and then respond with appreciation the things that our parents do. I know I went a long time without even saying anything. I mean, my parents would do incredible things for me and, and Sarah as well. 
we would see what they do for us, but sometimes we don't actually appreciate it to the point of wanting to respond and showing them our appreciation. I think that's the truth for Christianity. We might be able to say or you know, believe, quote-unquote, believe that Jesus would do something so great for us, but uh, actually deep down we might not actually appreciate it to the point of wanting to give back to him what we can, our lives and worship. Sarah was telling me about a time whenever she was with her dad. Take your uh, child to work day. Who all went to that growing up? Anyone ever went to take your child to work day? Take your kid to work day? No? Oh, my goodness, you guys are missing out. I went, and it was pretty awesome. You did? Okay, I see it. Um, Sarah went to it, too. Uh, Nick, never? Never, really? Jonathan? Oh. Oh, wasn't it? It's a thing. What are you talking about? It's not a thing. Who knew about it? Anyone ever heard of it? Thank you, Katina. Okay, a few people. Okay, so anyway, Sarah went to take your child to work day, and her, her father actually works at a prison. He's a counselor for inmates, and, uh, and <laughs> Sarah, uh, Oh, psych ward. Well, he works at a prison now, uh, but he was at a psych ward then. And so I guess, I don't know, this is going on podcast, so if your dad hears this, he's going to. Um, but I think she felt like it was kind of like a, a dorky job or not a super cool job um, to be a, a, a psychologist, a counselor for these people um, until, take your child to work day. She shows up, and uh, she tells the story better than I do, but uh, this guy went berserk. He went crazy. One of the, one of the people in the psych ward, I mean the right place to be, right, for that. But uh, So he went just crazy. And uh, so she had to go stay in his office, and they, and they shut the door, and she was kept safe. And he had to go handle this person and calm them down, and they're going crazy. And, um, and I guess she said at that, at that point, she started to really appreciate what her dad did and really think it was pretty cool. Um, and it changed how she would um, talk and look at her dad. I think that when it comes to our Christian walks now, walking back to our Christian walks, I think that we can sometimes hear what Jesus did for us on the cross, making us perfectly good, but it actually doesn't have a bearing on how we live in response to that because actually deep down we don't really appreciate or see what he did. Because though, when you start to embrace what he did for you, making you good, that's when you're going to strive to be good for him because it's in response to Really embracing that truth. So my desire, as I'm wrapping up, my desire for this, for tonight, even in our response time and our worship, my hope is that you would completely wipe away, those of you who walked in with this baggage of shame, this baggage of feeling like you're not enough for God, feeling like maybe you're not saved because of that thing that's still just hanging on in your life. Cradle Christians, this is you. This is for you, because I know so many of you can rehearse it, but I don't know, we just have to say it time and time and time and time again. And, and you can just keep saying, yeah, I know, I know, saved by, his, saved by him, not by me. Saved by his actions, not mine. I know, I know, I get it. You don't have to say it. Stop saying it. And you just have to, I feel like we just have to keep saying it and saying it and saying it to each other until we break down weeping and crying because we have been living with all this guilt and self-hatred and shame because we don't actually believe that it's by his actions that we're saved. And we're saying it, but we're believing that we have to earn God's love and so we have to just keep going back in every gathering, reminding one another, it's not by your actions. You are perfect, spotless, clean, without one mistake before God. 
Not at all by your actions, by his actions. My desire is that tonight we would wipe away that shame and self-hatred, that feeling like we have to earn work towards God accepting us at this point where he would think that you're good enough or you're working hard enough. Wipe that away and embrace the, tr- the true fact that we are good through Christ, through him. And all we do is have the faith that he would give us. He does it all. That's the first thing. I want us to deeply embrace the true fact that we are good through Christ. Embed that, root that, dig that deep in who you are, and then therefore live out peace, relaxation, and comfort, and enjoy the the joy of, of being a Christian and being a Christ follower, one that would embrace all the just amazing blessings of being a Christian, rather than walking around like it's just this chain on you, this thing that weighs you down and makes you feel bad about yourself every single day because it's all it is, is rules. No. Embrace it. You're good through Christ and therefore enjoy Christianity. Christianity isn't a burden. If, you're, if it is for you, you have the wrong beliefs. Yes, there's this working and this, and this toiling to be the best you can, but there's freedom in the gospel. There's freedom That's the first thing I really want you to work at and believe and dig into your being. The second one is that in a healthy way, work towards being the best you can. Have motivation. See purpose. See reason in working every day to be the best you can for him. In a healthy way. Not because you need to in order to embrace his love, but because you already have his love and therefore you're going to do it as worship. That's what I want. And that order is really, that order of operations there. First, believing that you're good through him, and therefore now you are um, working to be good for him. Order of operations is important, because if you're just going to focus on being good for him, and you forget that you're good through him first, that's where all the, sh- ga- uh, the shame and the guilt come in. So if, we, if you guys want to stand up and, uh, and spread out, this is, uh, those of you who are new, this is the time where we're going to really spend time working through this. I want you guys to live the best you can. Don't misunderstand me. Work towards being holy. Work towards being righteous for God. But with the understanding that you already are perfect in his eyes through Christ. So whether it be that you really need to work out this shame and self-hatred and worry of salvation, maybe you need to work that out and really think through, do I really deep down believe that it's through Jesus I'm saved? Maybe that's you, or maybe you have no motivation. You have no desire, no push or drive to be the best you can for Christ. I would say meditate on the true facts of what he did for you. And therefore, you would have the motivation, you would have the drive, you would have the appreciation of therefore wanting to do all you can and saying, thank you, thank you. We are good through Christ And therefore, therefore, we should strive to be good for Christ. 
We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.